Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. We're so glad you're here at Graceland Church. Before we get into the message, I have an exciting announcement to share. Uh, we are welcoming Alexander Cole Blumenhorst to the Graceland Church family. You guys can give them a huge hand. Eric and Asia Blumenhorst. Alexander has a big sister and brother, Scarlett and Isaac. They were in first service, but I'll, I'll tell them to feel the love from the second service as well. We already did a meal train for them, but if any of you guys want to bless them uh, with a meal or in the old days, we would say, you know, a Pentecostal handshake with a $100 bill in it. Although in first service, Eric shouted at me when I said that. He said, inflation, it's now $500. So take it up with the Lord. But Congrats to Eric and Asia. We're so happy for them. I want to reiterate uh, the youth and parent vision night tonight. We are so excited, our leadership team for Graceland Youth. It's for 6th to 12th grade. We want you to come on out. It's no big commitment just to be here from 5 to 7 p.m. tonight. Um, And then also let me know, please, if you have interest in helping serve our students. It's a growing group. We're making disciples after Jesus. And it changes their life forever. And it changes our church forever uh, because so often the students lead the way. So it's going to be really great. If you have any questions, just let me know. Last week, I shared part one of a message called Rest for Your Soul. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be part one, but it took a little longer. So I'm going to share part two today. And I'm going to begin today's message with a recap of last week. But I'm going to go very quickly through it. Uh, The notes aren't even on your welcome card. You just have 7 to 12 today. I'm going to do 1 through 6 quickly uh, as a recap. Um, If you're OCD and that drives you crazy, I'm so sorry. Be at peace in the Lord today. And I can give you your own paper with all 12 on one page with all the fill-ins, and you can listen to the message uh, from last week. I, I, I joke because sometimes I can feel like that too. This is incomplete. We can't start with number 7. This whole day is off. So it was just a follow-up from last week. Uh, my family and I had a vacation a couple weeks ago, and people always ask after a vacation, was it restful? And of course, it is restful to a degree, but hopefully you've learned this lesson that vacationing every year, even two or three times a year, if you're able to do that, it's not actually an effective strategy to find rest for your soul. You, know? you might get a little break, but if you don't have soul rest Before vacation, you're not going to get it from vacation. And fill the blank in with anything, any recreation that you enjoy. Um, I love playing music and writing songs. It doesn't give me soul rest. I love going and watching a movie where you sit for two hours and do nothing and just stuff your face with food. Still doesn't give me soul rest. Nothing works except for the invitation from the Lord through Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today. Many of us live in an exhausted world, also very exhausted. Not just physically exhausted, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. And I want to tell you, the command of God is for you not to live that way. It's not just a suggestion. This is part of calling Jesus Lord, is to what Scripture calls yoke ourselves with him, the pace of Jesus, the inner life of Jesus. You may feel like it's impossible, but I want to just challenge you before I really dive in here to to make some, some room in your heart and mind. Humble yourself before the Lord. Uh, It's not me teaching it. This is something that has convicted me much. And it's a lesson that I'm learning and that I'm uh, committed to learning. And I believe it can be absolutely life-changing for you. So rest for your soul. 12 lessons that the Lord has been teaching me. The definition uh, of Sabbath, which is the, the first idea where God introduces rest to us. Sabbath means to rest 
to stop or to cease from your works. And it's given to us in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 8. Let's read it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Clearly, the Lord cares about this idea of Sabbath and rest so much so that he modeled it for us in the creation narrative. And like all the commands of God, there is an outward reality to it, but the inward heart posture is more the concern of the Lord. Similarly, you know, we could not be murderers, but we could hate people in our hearts, and that makes us like murderers in our heart already. God cares about the heart. So number one, again, these are the ones I'm just going through quick, not even in your notes. This is from last week. Sabbath keeping begins with a soul at rest. If you go into Sabbath keeping thinking it's going to be a magic trick for you, but you have no rest in your soul before the Lord, it's not going to do anything. And then it reminds us of number two, Sabbath points us to Jesus in whom we rest from all our works. So Sabbath points to a person, Jesus, and it points to a practice, which we're going to talk about the full spectrum of that today. Look at the invitation from Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can be so wired by our culture sometimes that we need to work so hard for Jesus. You know, all the things we learn in culture, we bring into our faith, sometimes wrongly. And sometimes a scripture like this, it almost can seem unbiblical or that that's not the Jesus I've heard about my whole life. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if our burden isn't light, if our yoke is easy, that's on us. It means we're not yoked to Jesus. And that's a convicting word, but it is an invitation. It is for our benefit. I heard someone say just this week that I was chatting with, uh, to be yoked in kind of modern vernacular could almost be thought of as someone just putting their arm around someone else so that you walk together. It's similar to Jesus who wants to put his arm around you. You're not disqualified. This invitation is for you personally. And he says, I want to put my arm around you and show you how to live. I want to show you the pace of life that works. And he says, your burden will be light. Your yoke will be easy because it's his. He's humble and gentle in heart. And I want to use this moment to clarify. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're not busy. There's a difference between busy and hurry. You could make the case that at times in Jesus' life, especially the part we read about, his earthly ministry, those three years, that he was quite busy. But it was very clear he was never hurried. And he was always at peace and at rest before his heavenly father. So it's not that you or I can't be busy. My life is extremely busy. And some of those things maybe need to change. The issue is, is there hurry in my soul or is there rest in my soul? And Sabbath and the invitation has something to say about that. Number three, Sabbath reminds us that God is God and we are not. Give me an amen on that one. That's really good news. But make no mistake, we're tempted to act like we're God. We wouldn't worry so much if we, if we didn't think we were actually God and Lord of our own lives. He's God, we're not. 
Number four, Sabbath is a return to childlike faith. The whole kingdom is about childlike faith. We think we have to grow up and be so independent, but he welcomes, he delights in our childlike faith. On the vacation, and I'm going to do a very abbreviated version of the story, we broke down with a flat tire in West Virginia, no civilization in sight, almost pitch black outside, no spare in the new Toyota Siennas I found out stuck in West Virginia, no uh, Lyft or Uber in sight, no other vehicles passing by, police wouldn't help us. I was freaking out, my wife was freaking out, what are we going to do? And I took a picture, like we do in freak out moments, if you could put that up, Samuel. And one of my friends noticed that in this picture, as we're on the side of the road going through our stuff, I'm just trying to keep my family alive. And my wife looks a little tired there on the left. My oldest daughter there, our 14-year-old Novi, looks a little concerned. But the three younger ones, what are they doing? They're playing. They're having what's called childlike faith. My friend commented on my Instagram of this picture. He said, the older we get, the more concerned we look in trials. My kids were so free in the middle of this trial that look at Nessa, my, uh, my seven-year-old. She pointed at the tire and had a good laugh about it. The reason she can be that free is because she was trusting me, her father and her mother, to handle the situation. I think, and I'm not trying to gloss over very real problems, don't hear me wrong, but I think that God wants to teach us a lesson about how to approach the trials of our life a little bit more like Nessa here with a childlike faith. And Sabbath reminds us of that. Number five. Sabbath rest comes from deep trust. There can be no rest without trust. And then number six, Sabbath is a return to the posture of receiving. And that leads us to number seven. I'm gonna spend some more time on seven through 12 today and then give you two really practical invitations. It kind of feels like a lot of content, but I felt like it was important to share these lessons. It's a topic we don't hear a lot about in church. I haven't heard a lot of sermons on Sabbath. Likely you haven't either. It's like we just omit it out of the 10 commandments. Whatever, no big deal. You know what I mean? But I think it's a really big deal and God's been convicting me about it. So number seven, beginning in your notes, is that Sabbath reminds us to delight in the good things the Lord has already done. Scripture teaches us that part of Sabbath is the idea of delighting. And there's a, there's a reorienting power to this question. And I wanna challenge you to ask yourself this question right now. What good things has the Lord given me to delight in? Because we forget about these things sometimes. It's not that dissimilar from saying, what is my gratitude list? Am I living a life that is thankful for all the blessing in my life. I'll give you an example of how it can look in a regular day in my life where I'm wanting to have a Sabbath soul. And part of that is to delight in what God has done. So if I'm reminding myself, I can wake up in the morning in my bed. And when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I have Nessa and Clay basically on me. Can any parents relate? And my wife like way over on the other side. And, and sometimes they're all gone and I'm in the bed alone because the kids will sometimes go downstairs and Jessica might follow them down there and they're all asleep on the couch. Either way, whatever I see and experience when I wake up, I have a choice. Do I feel overwhelmed? Do I feel frustrated? Or do I delight in these good gifts from the Lord? How many of you guys know we have to remind ourselves, especially the longer we're married, to delight in our spouses? Anybody? <laughs> look at your spouse. No, I'm just kidding. You guys know this. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and look over at our spouse, and the very first thought might be a criticism. It might be, here's where they've let me down. Here's where I'm frustrated. Both spouses have to make the choice to delight in each other. Let me remind you, your spouse is a good gift from the Lord. 
and you delighting in them will actually counterintuitively help them become all that God has called them to be. And it will reorient your heart completely around the Sabbath. Sabbath reminds us to delight even in our children, our parents, our siblings, whatever relationship we may have, these good gifts that are from the Lord. I recognize some of us have had abuse via family members. That's a whole different conversation. I'm not trying to gloss over that. On my particular morning, I might then remember what a gift that I have this bed and this toothbrush. What a gift that I have another tube of toothpaste. What a gift that I have a shower to go into, food not only to eat for myself, but for my whole family. What a gift that we have vehicles to work. I think we should delight in these things. What a gift that, that my wife and I have jobs that people give us money for. That's crazy. Have you ever thought about that? I don't care what your job is. It's a gift to provide some kind of service and be paid for it. We forget the delight in just making five bucks and buying ice cream. Like kids, when they first learn this lesson, they're out of their mind excited. My five-year-old son right now, Clay, all day, every day is like, give me a job to do. Give me a job to do because he knows he can earn tickets with translate into dollars and dollars translate into him trying to buy toys or candy or whatever he wants. I know that's a little kid thing, but I think we should delight rather than complain rather than moan, rather, rather than get angry, rather than blame everyone else, rather than all the lists of hundreds of things that we sometimes do in our approach to our jobs. And the thing about Sabbath is it, it reminds us, we keep coming back to it. When you come back to Sabbath every week and even every day, as I'm gonna mention here at the end today, it begins to form us. That's why one of our values is formation. You see the third one there? Because whatever we practice on a regular basis, forms us. If you practice complaining about your life, it forms you into that. It makes you think your life is awful. It makes you think everyone else is happy and you're not. It makes you think everyone else has all this tremendous blessing and you just don't. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Truth is, nobody's happy like sometimes you think they are when you're just looking at external realities. Everyone struggles. Everyone is tempted to complain about their own life. Everyone sometimes wants to throw in the towel. Everyone deals with problems. But when you return to Sabbath and delight, you realize that if the Lord did nothing else for you ever again, he's already done enough. You should already follow him for the rest of your life. You should already pour out songs of gratitude for what he has already done. I think it's the enemy who gets us focused on everything we hope that God will, will do, he will do, and we forget completely about everything he has done. He's done it. We have victory. He can do all things but fail, and it's our choice to walk in that or not. And the Sabbath, which reminds us to, to delight, keeps us in that place. And then the counterpart to that is number eight. Sabbath reminds us to delight in the good things the Lord has promised to do. We have promises from God that are guaranteed. We actually have a future in the everlasting love of God. Scripture talks about a new heavens, a new earth. It talks about new bodies, perfect peace. It talks about worship in the vastness of the heavens with the angels and the saints of old. And sometimes when we get so bogged down in our life, it's because our vision is too short-sighted. We're looking 10 years down the road. We're looking 30, 40, 50 years down the road. We're thinking about our retirement. We're thinking about the lack of promotion, whatever it may be, and that bums us out. But we're not thinking about our guaranteed future in the Lord. And he's called us to delight 
and where we know we are going. It's like the old Dave Matthews song, where are you going? I think that's a cool reference. Thank you. Who's with me? Anybody? Yes. And all the kids said, be quiet. My kids, I played Dave Matthews for him the other day, and they were like, why is he singing like that? It sounds terrible. It's like, this is awesome. <laughs> that song says, where are you going? And I would like to ask you, where are you going? Where are you going? Uh, chances are you have forgotten to some degree that you have a guaranteed future in the Lord. You have forgotten that you have something to be absolutely delighted in because you know where this is all going to land. The enemy likes to make the ups and downs of our lives and our careers and our relationships and our finances seem like it's everything. It's not. It's very much not everything. It's very small in the big scheme of things. Just ask anyone who's gotten all of it and lost all of it or vice versa. It doesn't change anything about the rest in your soul. Nothing. I just watched the documentary about Johnny Football. Did anybody watch that yet on Netflix? About the guy who was Texas A&M and he was the star player and he got recruited to, I forget what's team, when he was only a sophomore in college. He, was the, he won the Heisman Trophy. He's a freshman best, youngest to ever do it making millions of dollars, and he, he, he kind of confesses in that documentary that when he finally got to his NFL team, the, the, the pinnacle, the absolute highest he could get, other than going and winning a Super Bowl, reached the top, biggest money, biggest fame, biggest, biggest success. He said, I had never been more empty. And it doesn't even shock us because we've heard that story over and over again. Sometimes you look at someone like that and you don't even believe it, but I'm telling you, it's true. They're actually more empty than they've ever been because they've looked for rest in all the wrong places. It doesn't work. So we must delight in the promises of God. Delight in what he's done. Delight in what he's promised to do. And then number nine, these next three really resonate with me a lot. I'm curious to see how it lands with you. Sabbath doesn't slow down God's plan. On the contrary, it's at the core of God's plan. That Western hustle mindset thinks that maybe being at rest wouldn't be good for me in my career. Maybe, maybe I would slow down. Maybe I wouldn't make as much. Oh, no. Maybe I wouldn't be able to keep up with everyone else around me in Williamson County is doing. Oh, no. Maybe I wouldn't be able to retire the way I want to. It just reveals that all our hopes and perhaps even our identity are in the wrong thing when we're afraid to come to a posture of complete rest with the Lord. Comedians talk about this a lot in the sense of, uh, I have a few friends who are comedians and we pastored in LA for a long time and, and I like studying communication. So comedians are a lot of times good communicators. Comedians will often say that if they didn't have the dark brokenness in them, they don't think they could be funny anymore. And so they're afraid of getting whole. They're afraid of getting well because they might lose their edge as a good comedian. I would submit, likewise, many Christians in America with the mindset of the hustle culture think that I don't really want to come to complete peace and rest because it's going it's to slow me down. It's going to hurt me. But I'm telling you, it doesn't slow down God's plan. Rest is at the core of God's plan for you. I just read a study about athletes, and I've never heard this. I read it this week. It said that many coaches of the best athletes in the world tell them to go give it 85%, not 100%. Has anybody read this? I'm just curious. And it said when people are carrying the burden of 100%, they tend to make more mistakes. But when you tell them to run or play at 85%, 
they're still basically bringing their best, but they're kind of at peace. And they say they generally get optimum performance out of athletes when they tell them to compete at 85%. And I think it's a fascinating case study for us and just helping rewire our brains. I'm telling you, your life will never be more productive than when you're at rest. Period. It leads to 10. Sabbath not only sustains, but accelerates because it connects us to what God himself is doing. When we're out there ignoring the command of Sabbath and ignoring the invitation of rest, spinning our wheels, exhausting ourselves, looking for peace and looking for fulfillment, for fulfillment in all the wrong places, God in his mercy and grace is, is still with us. He loves us. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't control us and, and pull us back in. He invites us. He even commands us, but he's still with us. So, so he'll still walk with us. We'll still experience the blessing of God. And in the middle of our exhaustion, it, we might think his blessing is because we worked so hard for it. We, we might get it wrong. And all the while, he's inviting us back to connecting with what he himself is doing. I think of it like the moving sidewalks at the airport. Those things where if you have a long hallway to go down, you can either get on it and walk that much faster or you can just stand there or you can walk next to it and go slower. But, but the speed in, in the Lord's sense of that moving sidewalk is like times 100. It doesn't just move you a little faster. It accelerates you times 100. Let me give you an example. I can try really hard to be a good dad. Any dads ever experienced like me Man, I just read a new book. Man, I got the idea that I think is just gonna like put me over the top and I'm gonna be a good dad and a good husband and I'm never gonna do this or that and it's gonna be so amazing. And then it's like 6.43 a.m. the next day and you're like, man, blew it again. (laughs) Anybody with me? You know, trying is okay. Effort is good, obviously. But what I'm saying is, you know when I become a really great husband and dad? is when I do the soul work needed before the Lord so that I am at rest. When I am not at rest, I'm not a good husband. And I'm not talking about like getting a nap. I hope you get that point by now. When, I, when my soul is peacefully at rest, I can actually love someone else. Novel idea. And I can love them with the right motives. My dad always said growing up, you either love someone and you give them room to grow or you want something from them. And when people are really exhausted and not at peace and not owning the, the state of their own soul, then you're looking to that spouse or that kid or that friend or parent. You're looking for them to somehow be something for you to hopefully lead you to your peace. But guess what? Never works. That's not their responsibility. Only you can own the state of rest or restlessness in your own soul. So when, when you step back on to the Lord's plan, I believe it accelerates you like times a hundred beyond what I could even calculate as far as what I am praying for coming to pass. And then 11, Sabbath reminds us that we are not treasured by God because we are productive, but because we are his. There's a whole day that God instituted as the Sabbath where it's intentionally not productive. And he says, you're my beloved on the middle of that day. It's too late. You're already completely and perfectly loved by God. You can't change that. He's drawn that circle of agape. That means unconditional love around you. The whole question is, do we learn to believe that and receive that? 
And Sabbath keeps bringing us back into that space. So to get practical, we're gonna close with number 12 and then a couple invitations. A three-part grid to practice Sabbath. Stop, rest, and delight. Those are three words you can remember of how to practice this. Michael Brain said, the power of art is that it causes us to stop and behold. So when you see a beautiful piece of art or hear a majestic melody or see an incredible play or, or story in a film, it, it causes you to stop. And that's powerful because what else really gets us to stop and behold? And I'm telling you, you, my friend, are a work of art. This world, though there's a lot of brokenness, is an incredible work of art of the master artist. And this might sound weird, but I, I want to encourage you even to stop and behold the beauty of the work of art that is you. And the reason I think that's important is because we, we spend our whole life, so many of us, just growing to hate certain things about us, to kind of despising ourselves. And I'm not just talking about physically, but of course this includes physical appearance, but I'm also talking about your personality. I'm talking about your temperament, your wiring, your gifting, who you are your ups and your downs. The Lord says you're his masterpiece. You need redemption and he's provided that. He created you and he saves you and he says you're a beautiful piece of art. And so I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but I wanna encourage part of your Sabbath practice to be stop and behold the work of art that is you. Rest in the belovedness that God has for you. I want my kids to rest in that. I try to tell them all the time that, that my perspective and their mom's perspective, our heart for them is unconditional love. It is delight. It, I want them to feel that. Our Heavenly Father wants us to feel that. It almost sounds crazy because we spend so much time uh, doing the opposite. Humility is not thinking you're terrible. <laughs> That's selfish. Like, like insecurity and arrogance are kind of the same thing on different sides of the spectrum. Humility comes into the middle and recognizes this is who I am. That's humility. So a pity party is actually a terribly selfish person. They're just thinking about themselves. Humility allows us to become who we're created to be, which is a priceless work of art. And guess what? The more you rest in that security and in that place of peace, once again, all of a sudden I can love other people. All of a sudden there's a purpose and a beauty in life beyond just me, which is actually what all of us long for. So that's the stop. And then we rest from all our works. Stop. And then rest from all our works. Again, you can do this even while at work. We, we rest from the sense of earning. We have to strive for the blessing of God. We have to save ourselves. We rest from having to work really hard just so we can fulfill ourselves. Nope, nope, we have that in Christ. And then number three, we delight. And it points us to the person and the practice of Sabbath. So here's the two practical invitations. Practice Sabbath daily by resting in Jesus all day, every day, every month, every year, every time you win, and every time you wander. And I like that juxtaposition of win and wander. Whether you're winning and things are going great or whether you're wandering and making some, some mistakes, Sabbath reminds you, wait, I still need to stop and rest in him because Sabbath is about him, not you. It's a gift for you, but you can practice Sabbath because he's faithful. All you're doing is coming and saying yes to it. And then here's the invitation that I think this still applies. Practice Sabbath Sabbath weekly by taking an entire day every week to stop, rest, and delight. Now, I don't know what that needs to look like for you. Um, that I think it's between you and the Lord. What they did in the Old Testament is they made all these laws, 
And, and all of a sudden, Sabbath became a giant legalistic practice that was just another burden. So let me say it this way. If you practice Sabbath that way, you're doing it wrong. I don't think that's what God has for us at all. But I think we need to take seriously the fact that we're meant to have a day of reset every week. And then I think moments of reset throughout every single day. I would also suggest some kind of quarterly or annual, just thinking through what is practicing this look like. I am, part of what I am attempting to do before the Lord in a posture of rest is treat Sundays, though I have lots of work to do on Sundays, from a total posture of rest as a Sabbath delight. And uh, a friend of mine was talking to someone who, who had a lot of thoughts and had been through uh, a lot of study and practice around Sabbath. And he said, how, how in the world can pastors ever practice Sabbath on Sunday? He was saying, maybe they should do Saturday or Friday, which I think is fine too. Um, but if they want to practice it on Sunday, there's something beautiful about it being when you gather with the family for worship, you know, uh, on that Sunday. And this pastor was saying, how could I ever do that? I'm, I'm just absolutely beat down after my Sundays. And how could I ever do it? And, and this person gently said to him, well, you might be doing it wrong. And I just think there's so much truth to that. It's good to be tired at the end of the day and fall asleep after a hard day of work. It's not good to be exhausted in your soul. You might be doing it wrong. So in that sense, Sabbath is something to learn as far as our daily practice and our weekly practice. And the verse again says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, We're going to close with this as the worship team comes. They're going to play through the bridge of king of my heart again. And I want to teach you a practice called centering prayer. It comes from the, the desert fathers and some of the, the early church days as a Christian practice, kind of the contemplative side of Christianity. I, I love studying Christian history. I love studying church history. I love thinking through the broad spectrum of the church of Jesus Christ. You know, we are in a church where we love to like raise our hands and, and clap and sing loud. There are other expressions of church where people generally sit very quietly and love to have long intellectual uh, teachings. And there are other churches that go way more emotional than us, and they basically do backflips off the stage, you know. And there's other churches that, you know, there's no facility. You're meeting out in the country somewhere. I mean, there, there are all kinds of beautiful expressions of the church, no right or wrong. You guys tracking with me on that? If it's about Jesus, it's right right? And that's just what it is. And so I really love studying all of it. Theologically, I'm like Pentecostal. That's our background. But my personality is not highly expressive, you know, so I'm not like jumping and my wife, when she's in here, she's very loud and she's like, so I'm, I'm just saying, I love studying the contemplative practices of Christianity and centering prayer is one of them. I want to assure you it's completely Christian. I don't want you to think it's anything weird. So So here's how it goes. It's been a really powerful practice in my life, and maybe it'll be a tool you can use in Sabbath keeping. The idea is this. You you pick a word, some kind of word that connects you with God. It reminds you of the Lord. My word when I was taught this was mercy. There's no right or wrong word. It's not even limited to what that word means. It's representative of your connection before the Lord. The guy who taught me this, the word he was using was father, right? So there's no magic trick about the word. It's just a tool. And then what you do is you maybe set your clock for five minutes or however long. And the goal here is to come and just actually be still before the Lord in what he has done to, to stop, to rest, and to delight. Sometimes it's really hard because it's very hard to stop these brains. And so what you do in centering prayer is you sit down and you're just quiet before God. And every time you have a thought 
that takes you away, you pull it back in with that word. So it takes about three seconds to have a distracting thought, by the way. So if, for example, for me, let's say I'm practicing centering prayer right now, and we're gonna close by doing this in just a moment together. If I'm just sitting before the Lord right now, and I'm saying, God, I, I wanna bring my whole self before you. I wanna be present to you. I wanna recognize your presence with me. Lord, I, I've been all out there. I wanna rest in you. Give me, give me peace in my soul and remind me of this mercy. And so, so then as soon as I sit, my mind might go to, okay, what am I doing for lunch after church? <laughs> and what am I going to eat? Is it going to be in my calorie count? Am I, am I, what am I, am I going to be like a fat middle-aged pastor soon? Am I, and then I, and then as soon as I start thinking that, and that's kind of a joke, but kind of serious. As soon as I start thinking something and realize I pull it back in with the word mercy, right? Mercy. And then I'm like, wait a second. What in the world did I preach today? What in the world did I say in first service? That Man, people are going to leave the church. That was a disaster. Then I pull that back in with the word mercy. And then I think about tomorrow. I'm like, oh, man, my, my fourth kid starts preschool again tomorrow. We have four kids in different schools. We have three sports. I, I, I don't know how we're going to do this. Uh, uh, Jessica, we haven't even talked about it. Pull it back in with the word mercy. So wherever your mind goes, pull it back in with the word mercy. And that's centering prayer. And one of the things that happens that I hope happens for you that's so powerful is that word becomes representative of God and God's word is stronger than all of your distracting thoughts. More importantly, his word is stronger than what all of those thoughts represents. And so wherever your mind goes to, whatever you're worrying about, whatever's consuming your thoughts comes under the power of God's word. It comes under the mercy of God in my life. I have an umbrella that goes over all of it the mercy of God. It's so powerful. There's nothing that can hold you back from the Lord. And centering prayer and practicing Sabbath reminds us of this. So the team is just going to kind of sing over us and do some of this bridge. You're never going to let me down. But you're never going to let me down doesn't mean you're never going to be disappointed. You are going to be disappointed in life. But he's never going to let you down out of his hands. You're with him. He's holding you. And I want to encourage you to trust him. So think of a word. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our hearts together. Just stay seated in your chair. Let all your weight fall in your chair on purpose. Just let your shoulders relax. Get a word in your mind that you can use for centering prayer. And we're just going to take a few minutes before we close today. As the team plays, you can sing, you can do whatever, but, but when your thoughts go somewhere else, pull those thoughts back in with that word. Bring them, bring those thoughts under submission to that word. It doesn't even have to be resolved. It's just the word is more powerful because God is more powerful. So let's just take a few minutes and be in his presence. Next week, we'll continue our Gospel of John series. We have uh, four or five more parts in that, and then we're going to start a brand new series in the fall that I'm really excited about. Uh, I hope you'll come tonight. If you're a parent of youth or if you're a youth, come hang with us. Um, a lot of fun things coming this fall too. We scheduled with our team, our fall fest. We're thinking through our, our men's, seniors, and women's groups and all kinds of ways to connect and grow in your faith, all for the purpose of uh, discipleship and growing as followers of Jesus. So I hope you'll jump in. And uh, I hope we can be a church that ministers together and grows together in the context of soul rest. Wouldn't that be amazing? Anybody?
That's what I would sign up for. Let me pray this benediction. We'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great rest of your day.